Are you ready to up-level your performance, become a better sales coach, and grow revenue? Are you ready to be ready? Then ready, set, sell. I'm Hannah, a B2B sales enthusiast and sales consultant, advocating for sales to be a little more human. And I'm Tony from MindTickle, where I'm a sales leader and coach. And you're listening to Ready, Set, Sell, a podcast dedicated to helping revenue and sales professionals like you adopt a sales readiness approach to ensure your team is always ready to win. In each episode, we share smart insights, tangible advice, and actionable tips that can be applied directly to the work you do every day to drive organizational growth. Let's dive into the episode. When it comes to finding success in any industry, pursuit, or discipline, perspective is everything. And as today's guest reminds us, having the capacity to understand multiple perspectives at once can be an invaluable skill in today's market. This is especially true for sales and marketing teams. In any organization, these two teams need to work together synergistically to produce the best results. But we all know that understanding the business through both a sales and marketing lens can be a challenge. But that's why I'm so excited about our guest today, who is Jeff Davis, the Associate Director of Business and Brand Strategy at AbbVie, and the founder and principal of Aligned Growth Strategies. Jeff spent most of his career helping B2B leaders align their sales and marketing teams to optimize outcomes overall. And he's here with us today to share his top tricks of the trade when it comes to sales and marketing alignment digital first selling, and some of the key ingredients of accelerating revenue growth. You're sure to walk away from this episode feeling more motivated than ever, inspired, and knowledgeable more than ever before. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how are you? Thank you for having me. I feel like you need to bless the listeners with your incredible career journey and just get Give everybody a bit of an insight into how you went from being a mechanical engineer at NASA to to, to transitioning into a technical healthcare sales role. I I need to hear this. (laughs) Uh, As you you said, Hannah, uh, I started my my educational career at Purdue as a mechanical engineer, right? Always loved math and science. Uh, My mom actually was a math professor, so I I couldn't really be bad at at math because that would just look really bad. Right before I graduated, actually, I was interning to your point at NASA and asked that kind of career question, like, what do I do with the rest of my life? And and surprisingly, the two answers I got from the consultants we were working with was either sales or consulting, which I at the time said, absolutely not, because I, like, I spent five years of my life getting this degree. I'm going to go be an engineer. After undergrad, I actually took a leap of faith. I said, well, maybe they're right. Right. You know, what's the worst case scenario? I can always go back to engineering. And so eventually ended up in healthcare sales, had always had interest in healthcare and biotech and that sort of thing. And it actually stuck. Like I really enjoyed it. I did well. I started my career at Pfizer. Uh, here's a rep here in Chicago. And I, I believe that a lot of my engineering kind of process that I learned in school actually helped me uh, be a successful salesperson. So uh, it all kind of came together. Well, it's funny when I when I looked into your background, I got a little intimidated right away <laughs> because you're the first NASA engineer I think I've ever spoken to in person. <laughs> so appreciate you joining here, of course. You know, when you think about the world of B two B sales, you know what what interests you the most about it, and you know, in particular about increasing revenue growth. Yeah, so it really does go back to the beginning of my journey. So what I found as a rep is that there was always, I shouldn't say always, there were many times that I felt there was a disconnect between us as boots on the ground and what marketing was doing, right? So back then and and 
industries have changed and companies have gotten better at this, but it was very much Ivy Tower. Like we set strategy. If it doesn't work, if the pull through doesn't happen, it's the salespeople's fault. And as a marketer, right? And we'll get to that in a second. Like I have some viewpoints on once I came in house, I was like, oh, this is interesting. But like we would be frustrated because we'd be asking for things and like we were like, no, we really need this to have these conversations. And obviously, if you're a seasoned salesperson, you usually can try to figure it out or you just, you know, make it on your own or whatnot. But that's not sustainable. At that time, that's what motivated me actually to go back to business school because I didn't have the language or the visibility to articulate what I was feeling. I knew something was off. I knew there was a disconnect. But at that vantage point, I'm only boots on the ground. I don't see all the things that are happening, you know, behind the scenes. And so once I went back to business school, I transformed myself into a marketer, as I say. Uh, and then I joined the brand team as a brand lead. And, you know, and I talk about this on my LinkedIn. I'm a, you know, marketer with the soul of a salesperson, right? Like I will always be at my core like a salesperson, you know, no matter you know, where I go and what I do. And I've been a marketer for years. Uh, but I got in selfishly to advocate for salespeople. I was going to go to the corporate office and tell them what reps needed and all that sort of thing. And when I got there and I'm working with super smart people, I just realized they just didn't have the vantage point of being a seller. It's not that they had like this, you know, goal to make our lives difficult or they didn't care. They just didn't have that last little step of like actually talking to a customer. And so what I found was it wasn't that sales and marketing hated each other, which we've had that kind of drumbeat for a long time. It's I believe they fundamentally don't understand each other. And that's what causes conflict. Not everybody's going to know who AbbVie are. So I'd love for you to share a little bit more about your role at AbbVie and what really drew you to that company in particular. Yeah, I think, you know, and it's not just AbbVie, but I, I think we've taken a really proactive approach to this. It's the industry as a whole is that we've really had to rethink what being patient-centric really is. Pharma tends to be a very conservative industry for, for many, many reasons, right? We're making really significantly large investments in disease areas and therapeutic areas. But I think, you know, what we're doing is we're rethinking what does it mean to be patient-centric, I should say, or customer-centric, right? We have multiple customers. Their patients are HCPs, uh, our payers that we interact with. So um, we're looking at how do we leverage, you know, really this kind of digital first, and we'll probably get into that conversation, this digital first landscape in order to create, you know, increase intimacy with our customers and, and patients and really understand what they need and be able to engage them in a way that looks very different than we did a decade, two, three ago, because the world is different, right? And if you really want to help people and you really want to get into their lives and help them understand what is out here that could potentially, you know, help save their life or make their life better, uh, you got to do it differently. Yeah. And I think it's, um, it, it just goes much deeper when you're, when it's patient centricity, when you're just thinking about customer centricity in general, something that we talk about a lot in B2B and also B2B space. But when you're talking about patients and healthcare, it's just much deeper. So thinking about your, your passion, your experience and your love for counseling sales and marketing teams <laughs> and creating alignment, just, just go a little bit deeper on, you know, on why it's so crucial for accelerating revenue growth. A lot of people were hanging their hat on COVID and how that has changed things. And I absolutely believe that is true. But I think more than anything, it's really accelerated, I would say, brought to light some, some processes and things that were broken, right? It just made it worse. So these themes, these issues that we've had have been brewing for quite some time. But a lot of us has, have relied on volume to mask the underlying infrastructure issues. And so really today because everything is so digital, because we've really been like pushed 10, 15 years ahead in the future, it is imperative that we change the way we sell and market it. And a lot of companies are not realizing that, you know, and I always start with this, the buyer is demanding a different experience. 
And for some reason, we don't look at our own personal lives and interactions with B2C and see the parallel to B2B. Like we are humans buying from other humans. And while there are, there are unique things that, you know, are very B2C, right? Like I get that. But fundamentally, we as B2B should be looking at our B2C cousins and being like, how do we mimic that in our space? Because people are getting more comfortable with buying larger purchases online. People do want more uh, virtual human interactions. They don't want to like traditional like sales reps coming by as much, right? So we have to take this hybrid approach. So all of that stuff is happening. And I just think a lot of revenue leaders and senior leaders that have been doing this for a really long time haven't quite committed to say like, yes, we fundamentally need to change the way that we go to market. And so that's what's causing some of this friction and and a lot of people seeing stagnant growth or declining growth because the way in which they're engaging with the marketplace is out of date. Well, there's so many different things that you do, Jeff, from, uh, you know, you're a company founder, you're a speaker, you've got a podcast, but you're also an author. So in speaking about the book, you know, what does togetherness really mean to you? And you know, how can sales leaders use that to apply to their everyday roles? Yeah. So when I, when I was early, early stages of starting my work, when I was just blogging, uh, it hit me one day and this is the true marketer in me, right? I was like, what is the ethos of what I'm trying to communicate? Togetherness can mean and does mean a lot of different things, but it is really beyond having kind of skin in the game, which we like to say, it is a kind of omni-joined presence where you always feel like you're enmeshed with your counterpart. You can anticipate their needs. You have a strong sense of empathy because you know what their challenges are. Now, it's actually great because if you think about it, selling is, it's a social event, right? I mean, people buy from people. And if you don't have that understanding or if you don't take that concept to heart, you're not really going to get to the next level of where you want to be in a successful organization. You're 100% correct. And and we're at a, a juncture where as a revenue leader, whether it be sales or marketing, if you don't fundamentally understand how much you need your counterpart, you are not going to be successful. Everybody is focused on the last 10, 20%, whatever it is, of the buyer's journey, right? So some people say it's 57, 75, 78, whatever. Whatever the number is, we'll say 57 to 75. So if we're all focused on that last 10, 15, 20%, we are just bombarding targets with the same stuff. And I said, there's this open green pasture over here where they're actually researching, they're, they're forming their ideas, they're, they're clarifying what their challenges are, and no one's there. But you know who stereotypically is already there? Marketing. So as a sales leader, your job is to get your people into the right conversations with the right type of accounts, right? That's fundamentally your, 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 your remit. So if you don't understand what marketing is putting out into the marketplace and you don't understand the messages and the story they're telling, you are not doing your job as a sales leader. One thing you mentioned was that customers, patients, they're demanding a different experience. And if I, if I think about some of the conversations I have, I don't even think they all know what that looks like. It just needs to be different. It needs to be more accommodating to their needs. Now, just based on the fact that we are more virtual now, how would you start to define in, in your own words, like what digital first selling is and why it's important today? I look at it as using all of our digital tools, resources, et cetera, content to identify target and really seamlessly engage today's buyer. Right. So it's, you know, we, to your point, we're, we're very much more enmeshed in digital. We're always online. So it's just using all these collective tools together to target, to identify, and then to engage with our buyers. 
because the front end of this buying experience has become more virtual, more digital. People are starting their their buyer's journey with search. I think it Forrester that estimated, I think, uh, I forgot the number, it was like 80, 80 plus percent, or actually 90% of B2B buyers are starting their, their journey with digital search. 90% is a lot. So think about that. If if 90% of the people are starting there, and this is just B2B, this is not across B2B and B2C, right? This is specifically B2B. 90% of people are starting their journey digitally and you are not there, you're not even making the short list of companies they're considering. So Hannah, I talk to a lot of different salespeople and they're they're always trying to find, you know, what is the niche or what's the market that I should be selling into or how should I do these sort of things? So how did, how did you find your niche in what you're doing? That, that's a really good question, actually. And I, I think about this a lot because I, at the start of my career, I was, and, and you might have experienced this as well, there was there was a lot of structure. Like you, you had like one career path as a salesperson. It's like you do some inbound stuff and you, you're kind of in the trenches and then maybe you have a little target and then you're, you're just on the road. That's it. That's all you do. And then maybe you're a leader. And um, I think a lot of that's changed. But I, um, I was following this path that was dictated by the industry for probably half of my career. I, I started to get a bit itchy. I was like, I don't know, something's missing here. I, I don't know what I should be doing, but I, I don't know if I like this. I started to transition more into mentoring and onboarding people and coaching and uh, team leadership and leading a few teams. And I was like, I like this. Like, this is this is what I enjoy. I, I kind of carved out that helping and enabling other people to be incredible sales individuals is is really where my where my niche is. But it took me doing everything. And I'm a massive doer. I'm like, there's an idea. Someone says, try this. I just do it. I'll just do it and figure it out. So yeah, I had to do a lot of stuff and fail at some things to realize that actually this is this is my sweet spot. Yeah, that's brilliant. You know, see, when I graduated from college, I knew right away that I wanted to host a Ready, Set, Sell podcast someday. <laughs> Even though this is well before podcasts were ever uh, a thing, but uh, no, I, I you know personally, I I fell into sales. It wasn't anything that I thought was going to be you know my my future career path, but you know I started doing it uh, as a way really just to get cocktails and beer money at the time. But you know I, I found out that I was empathetic and I was good at it and I was listening to what people wanted. I, I tried a couple things that really didn't work, and eventually I found a niche that that worked well for me. I was able to apply the things that I did well with my work ethic directly to it. And that just put me onto the path to where I am now, you know, sitting here in a room with you. So I, I couldn't think of a better spot for me to be in my career right now. I really would prefer it with a cocktail though. I, I just, I'm not sure <laughs> if you mentioned that enough. I'll be honest with you. I thought you were going to say I would really prefer it if someone else was on the podcast with me. So I thank you for that. <laughs> I would never, ever say that to you. <laughs> Tony, finding alignment between sales and marketing leaders is an important step to take on the road to success. But as Jeff reminds us, it's really that simple. Yeah, it isn't. You know, and usually a company's senior leadership team, including the CEO, also needs to be on board when it comes to major culture shifts. And those that lag behind will ultimately lose out on opportunities for success. Yeah, I think Jeff's concept of togetherness really captures the need for greater empathy across the board and more effective communication among teams. Absolutely. I think I totally think that's key because, you know, without a deep understanding of the organization's needs, you won't get far in the world of sales or marketing. Togetherness is about anticipating each other's needs and recognizing the value of other roles within the organization 
so we can really begin to view the company as a cohesive whole instead of as a fragmented jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> I know, and this has only become more important in recent years as the pandemic accelerated many of the shifts that were already in motion. But next, let's hear what Jeff had to say about the shift to digital-first selling and how sales execs can make the most of the changes. Companies are still struggling to figure out their selling identity. You know, as people are starting to convert to this digital-first selling, you know, what tips or strategies would you recommend people to think about as they're really trying to develop this identity? So I did an article for uh, Selling Power where I go through the eight steps of digital first selling. Uh, so if I can, I'll bore your audience with these eight steps. Uh, but <laughs> They will not be <laughs> bored, I can guarantee. <laughs> so the first one is understanding the buyer first mindset. So we talked about that, right? Like did, uh, search first, digital first, et cetera. You've got to fundamentally, as a leadership team, accept that that is true and the way that we buy is different, right? The second one, which a lot of people overlook, is establishing a 360 degree view of the buyer. So connecting all of your data sources. So that's web, that's email, that's social, that's your CRM. One of the reasons that we make very suboptimal decisions is because we have suboptimal data and we have a suboptimal view of the customer. So if I'm a sales leader and I don't really interact with marketing, I may not have visibility to all of the touch points that we've had with that customer prior to my seller getting in front of them. All I have is what my seller has done, which is not the complete picture. So we've got to connect all those resources. And whether you do it internally or you hire somebody out to do that, it's got to be connected because I need today, it is, it is table stakes to have a full view of our customer interactions. After we do that, then we want to develop an ICP cross-functional ICP because I've also seen people have ICPs between marketing and sales. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. That's not the same person. <laughs> how, how is that working? So I need an aligned ICP across the organization of like, who are our people? And I don't believe in creating that out of just how we feel. I want to look at your CRM. I want to look at closed deals. And I want to, I want to see proof that that is true because there's people that there's an ICP that we want to be true. And there's an ICP that is true. And then I also want to dig a level deeper and look at, does that ICP provide us the most ROI? After that, we, we have our clarity in our ICP. Then we need to develop a buyer's journey. And I don't mean developing, and this is for marketers more so than salespeople. I don't mean developing a buyer's journey like in a vacuum in an office where we never actually talk to customers. I mean, actually being really thoughtful and using all inputs, like input from sales, like that last deal you closed, walk us through how that went. Uh, where do you think that we can do things differently? And then actually talking to customers and saying, like, tell us about your internal buying process. You, you may get some people that, that love you and want to tell you everything. Others may not. But I want to talk to people that, you know, we love that are amazing customers, maybe some mid-tier people, and maybe even those that we've lost so that we can start to understand how our buyer buys so we can adapt our sales and marketing to their process and not try to push them through what we want them to go through. After that, then that's going to allow us and I call this a buyer's, buyer's journey matrix, where I actually put all of this, this is what I do for, for, for clients. Uh, I put all of the stages of the buyer's journey. And then what I, what I help them understand is what is the, what does a buyer need to progress to the next stage? It's not about you, it's about them. What do I need them to fundamentally believe is true to progress to that next stage? What do we need to do to demonstrate that? And then below that, I just call them interactions, uh, whether it be sales, marketing, customer service, I don't know. I want to litany of what we have today that we, can, that we can deliver on that so that they get to the next level or the next stage. And what that usually does, it, it helps you 
to find where there are gaps in your engagement with buyers. And they usually are glaring. There's usually a step they're like, oh, we really thought we had content or whatever around this, but we don't. Then we get to the tools and the tech. So uh, a lot of us are leading with tools and tech because there's a nice shiny object in the room. And I said, pause. (laughs) Tech enables us to sell and market better. It is not sales and marketing. So after we get done with tech, then we uh, create a digital sales playbook or playbook for sales reps. This is important because, you know, back in my day, I'm aging myself, right? Like there was a very linear process. I did this and then I did this and then I did this and then hopefully close. That is not the case anymore because buyers are coming in from all over the place and sales reps today, in order to be successful, need to understand not the individual tools. That is true. It's how to orchestrate them together. And then last but not least, establishing a feedback loop from sales to marketing. Stereotypically, I have seen marketing has a great feedback loop for sales. This is what's working. This is what you're doing right. This is what you're doing wrong. Uh, But there's usually not uh, as robust a mechanism to get feedback from sales. And I don't mean sales leaders. I mean, actually frontline sales people of what they need and and then be able to take that in aggregate to say like, okay, here are the themes we're, we're seeing from our sales reps, as well as competitive intelligence. Because a lot of times, you know, I've had instances where you have a conversation with a customer and they tell you something like, oh, this is starting to shift. You get that back to marketing, we, we iterate, and then we can, we can pivot in the marketplace. So those are the kind of the eight steps that I've kind of thought through and identified and helped uh, my folks with. I think it's a really, really clean framework uh, because there's a lot to do. But what I really focus on is making sure that we understand who we are targeting first. We kind of really build that, that, that strategy. We understand how they buy. And then you start to put on the tech and, the, and all the other stuff to, in order to able, enable that. So hopefully that was helpful. Just thinking about these things and this transition that a lot of companies are trying to make, what are your top suggestions for teams who may be encountering some bumps along the road as they try and make this conversion? I always, you know, and I'm obviously biased, starting with a conversation between sales and marketing. Where can we work together better? How can we partner with each other? What do you do? What are your challenges? I think starting there and understanding what your counterpart does and how what their work affects you is a great way to start. It increases empathy and it also helps you identify ways that you can work together better. And it may not in the beginning be, you know, digital first, 100%, right? It may be, to your point, maybe it's just reconciling our ICPs to make sure that you're at least targeting the right people that my sales rep needs to get in front of. Uh, it could be, you know, getting a, uh, establishing a feedback loop between sales and marketing so that they know how they can pivot. It could be getting feedback from sales on the content. Is this content resonating? You know, there are many marketing teams that create and develop content in a silo. Like they just don't get any like real feedback. So I think that's where you start. Um, I think you also start with, you know, just starting to try to think about your digital presence as an organization beyond your brand.com, right? Um, Majority of the people are not coming to your brand.com as their first step. So, you know, and this is more for marketing than sales, but I think sales should be involved looking at your SEO strategy looking at, you know, what's your perception of the marketplace and other kind of third-party sites. So, you know, obviously for SaaS software, G2 is a great place to start, right? Like a lot of people will go, you know, they'll start with search. They may go to G2 to learn about like the class of products that you sit in, and then they'll learn more about you. But if, again, if you're not in that kind of initial consideration, it's going to be hard for you to make the short list. So I think those are some things you can start, you know, uh, you know, you don't have to do the fundamental, like we're going to buy all this new tech and then we're going to just hold digital disruption. That would be nice, right? But the reality things for companies that are just starting this journey is not realistic. So it's about starting to work together better, uh, really 
thinking through like, what is your digital, what is your dis- digital footprint and starting to elevate those eventually starting to connect all those things and really map those to the buyer's journey. I think those are ways to start this, this process. Like looking at the, the big picture, what, what motivates you day to day? Like what's the overarching goal that sort of drives you and gets you out to bed on those rainy, cloudy days that I see in England every day? Yeah. Uh, well, in, in Chicago, it's about the same right now. So we're probably <laughs> experiencing the same weather. At the end of the day, it's frustration. And I know that probably doesn't sound like the answer that most people give. But, you know, I still remember as a sales rep in the, in the car, on the road, being frustrated. And it is still motivates me today. I think what has evolved is that I now feel like I have a commitment and a duty to help other sales and marketing leaders uh, do it differently and do it better. I fundamentally believe in, and you know, it's happening more and more now, but like back in the day, back in the day, um, making a transition from sales to marketing was like, it was parting the seas. Like you just, they're like, you, you're, you're a sales rep and you want to be in marketing. Well, that doesn't work. But now that I've made that transition and I get to, I've seen kind of the inside of both, I it just really goes back to marriage counsel. I'm like, if you understood the power of like, when you guys get each other and you work together, like you can't create these kind of results on your own. Like you just can't, like you cannot work in a vacuum in a silo and outdo a company, even if they're smaller, that really is lockstep. So uh, I would say frustration motivates me. Well, it's funny. You think, uh, you know, frustration is certainly one um, that I think a lot of salespeople, you know, experience. I think another one is distraction, especially over the last couple of years, you know, people are working from home and it's extremely easy to get distracted. So, you know, what would you say are some tips that you would give to uh, retain customer interest amidst all the distractions that are out there right now, right? There's so many different things out there. So how do you retain uh, employee or customer uh, attention at this point? Consistency always wins. I have seen over the years, so many people, you know, start campaigns and, and then, you know, you don't hear from them again. You can put out okay content, but if you put out that content on a consistent basis and customers start to see you as a good source of information, you're educating them on a consistent basis and they know they can trust that you're going to be there, you will win over somebody that does a, a, an amazing, splashy campaign and then goes away. If, if we think about there's things that people, these myths and these really weird misconceptions that do exist in B2B sales. What are some of the, the main ones um, that you've heard or see in the sales industry that you wish you could put to rest for good? I would say that B2B sales is easy. Like anybody off the street can do it. What you're starting to see is B2B sales, specifically tech, has become extremely complex. And so, you know, my buddy over at NIU, Dr. Uh, Dr. Peterson, like he is an example of, you know, these curriculums starting to pop up that is just focused on professional selling, which did not exist a decade ago. I would say another one um, that I used to think was true is that you have to be an extrovert to be good at selling. At the end of the day, selling is really about uh, educating your customers, providing value. And in some instances, depending on who you're calling on, it can actually be, if you're super extroverted, it can actually be a detriment. Um, the other one, uh, that always be closing. Did you close? Did you close your deal? Just close, 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 close. Um, yeah, no. Especially in B two B, longer sales cycle. People need to understand you, and so I would say we shift that mindset to: Are we getting them closer, closer to closing? I'm trying to make sure I'm articulating that correctly. But really, is are we providing value? Are we are we building trust? Those things and those metrics matter more than 
did I close the sale? Because that no one's buying that anymore. It just doesn't work. Jeff, this has been just amazing. Uh, probably one of the best podcasts we've done, but you're not done yet. So we're, uh, we're going to hit you with some rapid fire questions, right? Just first thing that comes to mind, just throw some answers out there and uh, I'll let Hannah kick it off. All right. So what is your sales philosophy in just three words? Always provide value. And what would you say has been the best piece of advice you've been given in your career so far? Shut up and listen. <laughs> I've heard that so many times, but it wasn't around sales, but it's okay. <laughs> uh, what is your top productivity hack? Focus on the things that provide the highest ROI. What's your top prediction for the sales industry this year? I would say one around sales tech, we'll see a lot of a lot more consolidation of tools. So like these kind of unified platforms, I think that's probably one that's top of mind. And if you can share just one piece of advice to all sales professionals, what would it be? Strive to become a trusted advisor in your industry. And you know, there's a lot of people have a feeling about that. What I mean is that really know your industry and be able to provide value outside of your product. That I think will make you successful and your target customers will view you as a partner more so than a sales rep. Where do you go to get your industry news? I'm back in pharma now. So Fierce Pharma is one that I use. I'm of course like always on LinkedIn. Uh, I have a couple of newsletters that are, that are just pushing to me. So I'm a little bit all over the place. Tied into that, what are the top three apps you could not live without? Okay, so Notion, I have to have. I'm a big music guy, so I would say YouTube. Uh, and I have the unlimited version, so I can like listen to it. Cause like when I work out, da 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 da. Um, I, nothing against Spotify. And the third one, I would say probably LinkedIn to be honest with you. Those are probably the three I use the most, yeah. Are leaders made or born? Oh, you guys aren't playing around today. I, I, I would say the same way that people say like salespeople are either made or born, I, I believe they, they can be made. I think that if anybody is coachable enough and open enough to self-improvement, you can transform yourself into whatever you want to be. And last but not least, what books inspired you the most in your career? You know, so this can sound really crazy. What's the book by Dr. Seuss, All the Places You'll Go? I got this book as a graduation present from a teacher of mine, and you would not imagine the emotional connection I had to that when I actually read it as a high school student. It was like, and I like read it as a kid, right? But when I really read it as like going off to college and starting my journey in life, like it just resonated in a very much a different way, which was to this day, to be honest with you, is surprising. And even like if I go back and revisit it, because it's a gift that really means a lot to me, as I get older, it just means something very different. Um, so that probably is not the answer you're looking for, but, um, I, I don't want this to end. I want part two. When are we getting part two on this? I'm learning. So Whatever much. you want part two is when, when it will happen. Um, I mean, how many podcasts have NASA engineers, Dr. Seuss all built into one? I mean, you can't, you can't beat that. This is Jeff. Thank you so much. Very this much has fun. been an amazing experience for us. Uh, we do hope to have you back, but thank you again and all the best to you. And Go get his book right away. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Tony, Tony and Hannah, thank you so much. CreateTogethernessBook.com. Uh, and I encourage people to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I love having these conversations. And uh, let, let's start, let's make it happen. Sales and marketing alignment all the way. 
So Hannah, I, I know you're an elaborate content creator and uh, it's no secret that we're living in an attention economy today. So if, if, with all the different things that you're doing, what are some marketing tactics or maybe even sales techniques that draw you in and keep your attention for longer? It's, it's really simple. It's, it's people or companies that are keeping it very real and they, they, they strip back the, the corporate jargon and they talk to humans because, hey, guess what? We're, we're all humans and we have normal conversations and, and normal interactions between one another. So I love to see companies start to develop their personality. I think retail brands just get it right. Um, or some of the um, uh, restaurant brands, and they're on Twitter and their social media team are like teasing each other. I'm like, this is... This has drawn me in. This has captured my attention. And if I think in the sales context, when I LinkedIn's my playground, I, I love it. I, you know, I interact and engage and create a lot of content for LinkedIn. But I love when I come across people who are sharing content around things that are, it's like, this is a new perspective. This is a new way of thinking about a problem that we're all trying to solve and we're all trying to kind of brainstorm rather than the attention grabbing headlines. So yeah, I'm just like, keep it real. And, and share some new perspectives. Well, even though my kids have probably accused me of not being human all the time, um, I, I think being human is the most important thing, right? You, you really want to be able to be empathetic to someone. You need to establish that rapport and relationship. And it's, especially since there haven't been that many human interactions that are at least live over the last two years, you have to find a way to really get that connection. Right. I have problems. I have goals. I have things that I want to do. But, you know, if I can align them to things that are important to the person on the other end of the phone or on the other end of the camera, then that's going to help me establish a rapport that will differentiate me from someone else. I know, you know, over my career, I've had uh, tons of customers that I've worked with at multiple companies because when you establish that relationship, it doesn't just go away when you when you leave a company or you leave a job that relationship stays forever. Yeah, I, I, that relationship piece and, and that connection piece. And for me, it's also about like how people, people and businesses that are just trying to start conversations, you know, just accepting that we don't know everything, but let's, let's have a conversation. How about we start that? And I, I think, I, I don't know, I maybe have about 11,000 connections or followers on, on LinkedIn now. And the ones that stand out to me are people who will, you know, trigger conversations with me around maybe something I've posted or they will share, the people share stuff with me and say, hey, Hannah, I know that you were talking about this a few weeks ago. I saw this perspective from this other person. What do you think about that? And then we go back and forth. But I, I, I love that. I love those conversation starters because now I remember that particular person, that guy. And um, if I think of something, I'm going to go to him first. When it comes to sales and marketing alignment, it's not enough to ensure both teams are on board. If you hope to make them stick, the changes need to come from a top-down approach involving members of the senior leadership team. Completely agree. And this is where Jeff's togetherness concept really comes in clutch. The word helps to illustrate the interconnected approach sales execs should be taking in this fast-paced digital-first world. Exactly. They really have to because, you know, it's become more important than ever that we all bring a greater sense of empathy to the table, regardless of our role or department. If we can put ourselves in someone else's shoes, we'll be quicker to respond to the needs of others and see the business from a holistic bird's eye perspective. 
But only another key takeaway from our conversation with Jeff involves making the shift to a true customer-centric approach rather than just paying lip service to the idea. Absolutely. And in, you know, in today's market, Hannah, buyers are craving a fast, easy, and frictionless experience. It's up to a sales team to deliver the turnkey experience if they hope to accelerate growth and retain customers in the future. Thank you for listening to this episode of Ready, Set, Sell. We hope you took away some valuable lessons and insights that inspire you to reevaluate your approach to sales readiness. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show when you get a minute. And stay tuned for the next episode of Ready, Set, Sell.